Welcome to In Your Area, a podcast designed by area to update, educate, and refresh realtors, brokers, and industry stakeholders on topics that matter most to you. Listen on the go, in your car, at a coffee shop, wherever your day takes you. This is a podcast designed with today's busy realtor in mind. Now, here's today's host, Area Vice President Christy Kruger. Welcome to Area's Podcast a podcast for Alberta Realtors on the move. Podcasting from the boardroom of the Alberta Real Estate Association, I'm Christy Kruger, your host for podcast episode two, to disclose or not to disclose. I'm a realtor and owner at My Life Realty in sunny Lethbridge, as well as a sitting member on the Alberta Real Estate Association Board of Directors. Joining me today is Dave Delarond of the Real Estate Insurance Exchange. Dave is the Vice President of Claims and Litigation at REAX, and has been there for the past 12 years. Dave, can you tell us a little bit about yourself and why you're here today? Sure, Chrissy, and thanks for having me. Um, I've been involved in the Arizona Missions Professional Negligence Defense Work team for 32 years, uh, 12 at REX and 20 uh, with my previous employer, um, who was a company that uh, managed litigation on an international basis. We acted for uh, foreign governments, domestic governments, uh, national insurers, multinational insurers, and I managed uh, their litigation under contract. And so most of it was the United States, but did a lot of it in Canada and over in the United Kingdom. Um, and the reason I came in today was this podcast is called Disclosure uh, is probably one of the most difficult things that industry members find themselves faced with from a risk management perspective. Uh, we're always concerned about it. It gives rise to claims and we want to stop lawsuits against realtors. So it's a great avenue for, for mm-hmm. us to get together and, and impart some information uh, to your people. So do we want to talk about the case study? We should. REX takes the position uh, that disclosure should follow a 19 or 2008 case uh, that was in provincial court in Alberta. Uh, the case was heard by a judge who now sits on the Court of Appeal. And without getting really complicated, there's essentially three levels of courts in Alberta, provincial, court of Queen's bench, and then court of appeals. And the rule of thumb is that a judge who writes a decision at the provincial court level can get that decision overturned or disagreed with by a judge at court of Queen's bench level, which is the next one up. The case is relatively simplistic in nature, but it certainly highlights the impositions on an industry member not only when it comes to dealing with another realtor, but when it comes to dealing with their client, which is probably the more important point. And the case is pretty simple. These folks own a property. Uh, they had an affl- a flood uh, in the property. They got folks in to fix it. And the remedial fix consisted of doing some regrading uh, of the exterior of the property and putting in a sump pump. And when that work was completed, the contractor that did the work suggested that may do it, Uh, On the other hand, it may not. You may need some weeping tile to augment that. And uh, shortly thereafter, these folks listed the property and an offer came in and there was an inspection condition uh, in the offer. Uh, That inspection condition was never, uh, the inspection itself was never carried out. Uh, And the reason for that was the vendors of the property had had an inspection done when they bought the property, which is only a little bit just a tad more than a year before. And one can gather that they said, why do you want to waste the money on an inspection? You can just have a look at ours. Um, And so that's what the prospective buyers did. They reviewed it. 
decided not to have their own inspection, and away we go. It comes to prepossession walkthrough, and the buyers are walking through the house, and they notice a sump pump, and obviously they asked the sellers, why is that there? And they were told that it was there because the neighbors recommended it was a good idea. And so they asked the realtor if there had been any problems uh, with water in the property. And the listers realtor said, no. So based on all that, they closed and moved in. And they're in this property for a very short time. And there's no less than three floods. Huge restoration project. Not surprisingly, uh, at the end of all of this, the buyers sued sellers. And what came out of the trial were a whole bunch of interesting things, not the least of which is one of the reasons that I want to be here today. There was a discussion at the time of the listing as between the seller and the seller's real estate agent. And the seller disclosed to the real estate agent that, in fact, there had been a flood. And these are the things that we had done. And do we need to disclose this? The realtor being somewhat green, phoned her broker, and the broker said, no, you don't need to disclose it. It's fixed. So that was the focal point of, of this lawsuit. And so it goes to trial. And, and what came out of this trial was fascinating. First of all, the judge heard all the evidence. And, and in his decision, which is quite far-reaching, he implies, and, and, and I, will, I will tell you how we get to implies in a moment, but he implies that the buyer has got all the skin in the game. It's their money that's going to make this deal happen. The seller, on the other hand, has no skin in the game. And they know everything there is to know about this house. So who are they to pick and choose what they're going to tell a prospective buyer about the history of this property? And so that issue was raised in considerable depth at the trial. Uh, and the judge in his written decision came out and said that silence was actionable. And in simple terms, what that means is if you know something about a property, you're not going to disclose it. And the subsequent purchaser of that property incurs damages as a direct result of the non-disclosure on your part. That's a cause of action, and you're going to be found liable for it. In a nutshell, that's the position um, that REX takes. Uh, but the courts have now made it very clear. If you know something about the property, you can't pick and choose what you're going to say. And they're hinging it on the fact that if there was an issue with the property, who are you to decide whether or not there isn't a problem there anymore? You may recall that earlier I said that when the contractor effected the repairs to this property, he said, look, you know, we put a sump in, you know, we've regraded the property. That may not be enough. We may have to put some weeping time in. So the court says, you knew that. So you knew that there was a, a very good possibility that this wasn't fixed and it was going to happen again. And sure enough, it did. So at the end of the day, the courts are saying, if you know something, you have to disclose it. And it's in everybody's best interests that it get disclosed. Um, I will tell you that at REX, we're running 250 lawsuits at any given time. Um, and not one of them is because somebody disclosed too much. So do you want to explain in terms of the contract that we are working with every day as realtors, what is the difference between a material latent defect and a patent defect? That's a great question. Uh, quite candidly, I wish they wouldn't use those words because they're very misleading. They are. Uh, people get confused with them all the time. Uh, and if we use the words hidden defects for material latent defects, and we substituted patent defect for easily discoverable by seeing it defect, that's the difference. One is a hidden defect that the seller may know about, and he has an obligation to disclose it. Uh, the other one is if you walk in and there's a hole in the gyprock, it's pretty visible. That's that's a patent that 
patent defect. It's, it's patently obvious. Um, you can take the definition of a material latent defect a little bit further by saying it's also a defect uh, that exists that mightn't be discovered uh, in an inspection. Because there are things in, you know, inspectors don't move furniture, they don't lift rugs, they don't do this, they don't do that. So something as simple as a scratched floor underneath an area rug with a table on top of it can just as easily be a material latent defect as mold in the wall. So it's simply material latent defect, not easily discoverable, either through through a visual thing or through an inspection. Patent defect, you can see it. So if one needs to disclose a material latent defect, what clauses in the contract are affected and what steps should we take as realtors to ensure that we are properly executing that contract? It actually occurs um, not only in the purchase contract, but in the listing contract. Um, the listing contract under Section 6 um, has provisions which obligate a lister to disclose those material latent defects and define what those material latent defects are to the realtor. The reason that it's in the listing contract is it forces that discussion to happen. And that's a really, really critical part for the listing realtor. Uh, because if there, there is lying on the part of a seller, if you can physically sit down and, and say to me or, or a judge that I went through every section of that listing contract and we specifically talked about those, you're in good stead. Out of all the points in the, in the listing contract, that's the one you never want to glance over too quickly. If you have a discussion about something that requires disclosure and your seller will not allow you to disclose it and says, put no, tick no on that section of the listing contract, you're actually acquiescing in putting your client in breach of that listing contract. And that listing contract breach is then going to flow over into section 14 of the purchase contract. So the listing contract is incredibly important. Um, section 14 of the purchase contract simply says that if there are material latent defects, this is what they are. I have disclosed them uh, and, and what industry members should be doing to cover themselves and their clients quite candidly, because if their clients are telling them to disclose a problem with the property, they have every right to be protected, not from a buyer who comes down the road and says, well, you never said that. I had discussions about this at some point uh, early on in my career. And one of the simplest ways to talk to a seller about that is simply ask them if the new owners are standing outside talking to the neighbors, is there anything that they're going to find out from the neighbors that you haven't told them? And that can be a really simple way of just having that discussion about what should we disclose and what shouldn't we disclose. I've always felt that if I was going to buy a property, I had the property disclosure statement for the property that I was looking at filled out by the neighbors on either side of my property because they know more about that property than anybody does. Exactly. So that just speaks to what you're saying. Yeah. Yeah. Because sure. if you're going to get sued, it's because of a disclosure the neighbor made every time. And, and people sue on disclosures, even though there may not be any damages coming from that, they sue because they think they've been lied to. And the big question hanging out there is, what else did you tell me about? That's where these come from. Yeah. 
because there's two components to a lawsuit. I mean, number one, it's fine to sue a realtor, um, but there's two components to getting money. Number one, you got to prove that the realtor did something wrong, was, was negligent. But you can't be negligent, and there's no damages that flow from that negligence. People, unfortunately, a lot of buyers don't get that. They just think, well, the realtor lied to me. I must be entitled to some dough. And so you're tied up in a lawsuit for five years. You know, and they're spending all kinds of money without understanding at the end of the day, there isn't going to be any money there. Again, it just goes back to papering. If that document had been there to begin with, it never would have, it never would have sued. So that kind of leads into the next question that I have for you. So what if your seller refuses? What if they want you to check no? What, what should a professional do in that case? The way we approach it is you turn it into a sales pitch. Or as you take a negative and turn it into a positive. And how do you do that? You have this neighbor that thinks, I don't want to disclose this. Well, obviously the reason is because it's going to devalue my property. That's why I don't want to go there. And the simple response is, you know what? If you don't disclose it, the neighbors will. And you're going to be faced with a lawsuit that is going to run you at least five years. Uh, if it's a five-year lawsuit, depending on the amount of money they're looking for, you're going to spend tens of thousands of dollars defending yourself. And how does that translate into having that disclosure now with a view to potentially, and I see potentially, having to re reduce your house price? It's interesting because experience tells us that disclosures that are made by sellers very seldom turn into a lost sale. Uh, and in fact, there's a credibility factor that, that, that's going on there that nobody sees. Uh, and it's very rare that somebody's going to walk away from that disclosure. And the reason for that is because they walked in the property and they like it. That's why they're asking questions about it. And if it's going to be an issue, and it still is an issue, well, then the inspection is going to find it. What do you do if they continue to say no? You've got one of two options. You can risk being in a courtroom yourself, or you can walk on the listing. Candidly, you should be walking on the listing. And, and what I hear industry members say to me is, Dave, well, that's kind of myopic because another realtor from down the block is going to come and take the listing. And I agree with them. That's probably going to happen. But at the end of the day, it's going to be them that's standing in a courtroom defending their actions and not you. And it's all about reputation. You know, if you're working in smaller centers, do you want to get a, a reputation as a realtor who's prepared to bend all rules and do all this kind of thing? And your practice is probably going to go up pretty quickly if that's true. So to follow on to that, if I refuse a listing because I have a seller who is not willing to disclose what I very concerned about a material latent defect and a realtor down the street ends up listing it, what obligation do I have to disclose at that point? I would say none. It's one of these areas that becomes a slippery slope. Um, how much due diligence do you have as a realtor in the industry? Uh, there is a point where how are you going to be found liable for not disclosing something in a transaction which you are not a part of? I, I say you don't, you don't need to do that. You don't need to go there. And in fact, you might be exposing yourself to liability by going there. I suppose you want to wonder if an inspection had been done 
how would have this been different? Well, uh, to start with, the home inspector, if they did a moisture test, they would have picked it up right away. So that answers that question right out of the starting box. Mm -hmm. That would have been obviously in contradiction to the initial home inspection. So let's say, for example, that these uh, buyers had looked at that home inspection and got a little bit queasy and said, eh, let's get our own anyway. And then they get this one. That's going to give rise to a whole bunch of discussions because these two reports contradict each other. So would it have made a difference? Absolutely. Um, there are a lot of people out there that, quite frankly, think a home inspection is a waste of money. Um, I totally get that. Uh, on the other hand, how much is four hundred, five hundred, six hundred thousand dollars worth to you? It's some measure of comfort. Yes, home inspectors make mistakes. Uh, of course they do, but they have professional liability insurance, just like the industry members do. That's why it's there. It's just an extra measure. One more step of due diligence on the buyer's side. Yeah. I mean, at, at the end of the day, uh, the, the courts are not unsympathetic to buyers that don't take any steps to look after their own interest. I mean, the court doesn't impose uh, unbalanced responsibilities on buyers and sellers. Um, and, and I'm certainly not trying to say that, but, you know, in this particular case, the court let them off the hook because they said, you know, the home inspection was there. These people deliberately lied to you on a balance of probabilities. You probably would have done it, but having the home inspection report there and reading it and looking at it and them deliberately not disclosing it to you, I'm not going to hang you out to dry because you did not get the home inspection report. You didn't get it because there was one there. Back to the case, did the remediation efforts alleviate the responsibilities from the sellers to disclose? Now, we've kind of gone over that, but I know that that's a, probably a very gray area for a practicing realtor because a lot of the discussions that we have and the knowledge that we're given or the information that we're given is that if it's been fixed, it's not a problem anymore and you don't have to disclose. So is there a balance between saying just disclose anyways, that's best practice, or if in, in our case study, the, the, the owners that were selling hadn't lived there for much longer than a year. I guess my question is, does it change if I had purchased a home and had a water issue in year one, remedied it, and then sold it seven or eight years later and there hadn't been any issues? Is there a difference there between to disclose or not to disclose? No. Um, our position is, and, and it's a simple one for the purposes of practice. Uh, if you have to have a discussion with your client uh, about whether something needs to be disclosed, guess what? It needs to be disclosed. Um, you know, I get back into the scenario of, you know, we, I've never seen a lawsuit for too much disclosure. Um, I think the other thing that we, we, we never need uh, lose sight of is that in taking your scenario, uh, if we take an issue or an event uh, that occurred eight years before uh, and you've disclosed that and there's been no subsequent issues uh, akin to that event, I, 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 I don't think that's going to have a memory lo much longer than 30 seconds in, in the buyer's mind. Um, and again, time after time after time, we see um, that disclosures simply do not have an appreciable effect. Uh, on what people think of a property. If they really like a property, they're going to let some of this stuff go. Um, the only time it's really an issue uh, is when we run into something like 
uh, a suicide or a violent crime. Um, that's something that pre people are, we don't care when it happened. <laughs> We're not moving into this property exactly. and we want to know. But in terms of, of damages to property and so on and so forth, you know, the more time that's elapsed, the less of an issue it is for people. And you know what? You're adding credibility to both the seller and the seller's realtor by, by putting it up front. And every buyer is different. So at the end of the day, disclosure means the buyer gets to choose whether or not that's something that they can manage. And for yeah. some, they can. And for some, they can't. And, you know, there's a lot of sellers out there who do keep pretty meticulous paperwork. Mm -hmm. You know, our position is if, if there's an issue there, uh, put all of the paperwork on the, on the table. You know, we're going to have an inspection anyway. Uh, so we can draw that to the inspector's attention. He can take a second look at it. But, you know, seven years ago seems a long time to me. So, On the day-to-day -day in my practice, is there resources that are readily available to determine for myself and my sellers what should be disclosed and what doesn't need to be disclosed or what we might consider visible through a reasonable inspection? You know, it, it's really difficult because there's no go-to um, there is no go-to place. Okay. Uh, what I would highly recommend is talk to your broker first. Mm -hmm. um, if it's an issue where you need an answer now, call us. Okay. Uh, we do a lot of that. That's why we're there. Our idea is to stop the lawsuit before it starts. Fantastic. And this is an integral part of that process. Uh, or alternatively, you know, your broker may say, you know what, I'll get back to you. Let me give Dave a call. Okay. Uh, Disclosure, really, really important. It's a liability issue, quite clearly. And we'll be able to give you that advice to pass on and help your seller with. And if you can say, look, you know, I was concerned about this. I got some independent advice. Here's what I'm being told. And if you go back to them and they still say don't disclose it, you're even better armed to walk away from that potential listing before you walk in there. So that's what I would recommend. Unfortunately, there's no dial, dial 911 ask for disclosure. So in back to this case that we're talking about specifically, had the leakage and subsequent efforts been disclosed, how would this scenario have been different? Uh, it would have been very different because the seller would have, or the buyer would have then been armed with sufficient information to decide whether or not they wanted to go ahead. Uh, I will tell you that they probably would have ignored uh, the prior inspection uh, and got their own. And given the amount of flooding that had been in the property, it was three or four floods, ankle deep water. It would have shown up on every moisture meter that was ever made to man. And they would have walked on the deal and there would have been no lawsuit. Right. It's just that simple. So it would have been very, very different. Or the sellers might have offered to remedy it with weeping tile or something. They might have done that. Yeah. Um, they might have negotiated a, a price reduction to deal with it. You know, I'm pretty sure an inspector would have said, well, you better be careful what's behind the wall because if we've had this kind of water in here, you know, you're going to have damages back there. And it might take the form of a lot of the horse trading that went on in High River. Right. It was the same kind of thing. You know, they, they did price reductions and, you know, paid to have chip rock taken off and things dried out. You know, people will do that if they're that in love with the property. Right. Whether that would have happened here, I don't know. But they certainly would have caught on to it. How do I explain to a seller the importance of the disclosure and the consequences of the non-disclosure? Kind of back to my earlier statement of a buyer being able to go in with their eyes wide open. I had a situation where I had a listing uh, where the basement floor was not level, but where it kind of jacked down in the basement, uh, there was a desk over top that was all built in. 
And so it might not have been easily discoverable because they would have had to go underneath that. But the current owners knew about that. So that was something that we disclosed up front. And I said, for sure, for some people, they might not be interested in a property that doesn't have a super flat basement floor. But at the end of the day, the buyers coming in knowing that are coming in knowing that and either they're going to be okay with it or they're not. I guess just really reiterating the fact to the sellers how important it is to make sure that it takes their liability away and that at the end of the day, when you talked about devaluing a property, you kind of have to weigh the the potential consequences of not disclosing something to, like you said, tens of thousands of dollars for you know up to five years in court and then potential damages on top of that. Or maybe you reduce the house by you know, a few thousand dollars. You've absolutely got the right approach. What you're really doing is you're selling your client on the fact that you are doing your best to protect them in this transaction, which you are. And in doing so, uh, given that hopefully they're going to follow your advice, you're also protecting yourself because at the end of the day, you don't want the liability. Um, you know, I, it is extremely rare for on a disclosure, someone to ask for a reduction in price. And if it does happen, it's usually directly related to the nature of the problem to begin with and how long ago it occurred. You know, if you're going to make a, uh, ask for a price reduction on a sprinkler head that broke in the second bedroom on the third floor. Uh, five years ago, you're not going to get a price reduction. That's not going to happen. You know, if it was a big flood six months ago and, you know, it's still under warranty, and I'm not sure if you've got it all, that may be a case where that discussion happens. But if it does happen, it's still going to be a lot less than hiring a lawyer to fight a lawsuit because you, you tried to hide it. And we now know from this case that you are going to be found accountable uh, in a court. There's no question about it. So how do I protect a seller contractually on issues that they have or that they want to disclose? And I'm going to kind of break that down to a couple of different things that I'd like you to answer. So when when a seller discloses something, we have a few options. We can put that right in our remarks. We can put it in the public remarks. We can keep it private and just keep it in the realtor remarks. And then we also have to go a step further in terms of not just filling it out in the seller's contractual obligations to us, but also in the offer to purchase. And so maybe if you can just kind of look at that whole scope and does it depend on what kind of disclosure it is? If it's a disclosure that you think isn't really going to be a big deal, but you don't want to scare buyers off by putting it in the remarks, like where, at what point do you disclose and how do you protect your seller from making sure that they're taking the right steps? It's a great question, and my immediate response to that is there's no cookie-cutter solution to this. You know, if if you had catastrophic water damage and, you know, you're looking at $75,000, $100,000 worth of damage, that's a pretty serious disclosure issue. Um, If you had some water ingress through, you know, a basement window that caused a piece of jet rock to be taken out at a price of $5,000 to repair everything, I'm not persuaded that that speaks to either public or private remarks. Um, We're sensitive to the fact that industry members want to present their product in the best light that they can. 
And the vehicle, of course, for doing that is the MLS. And, and we're never going to do anything to impugn that. Uh, but at the same time, we want to arm industry members with sufficient tools that they don't get themselves in a position where they're over-marketing that product. Um, so, you know, prudence would suggest it's a judgment call. Um, I don't see a need for putting a whole lot of things in, in the public or uh, realtors' remarks. Uh, there is the disclaimer on it if you want to put it in there. But if you don't think it's that serious an issue and your seller has given you the, the okay to disclose it, um, I think it's completely sufficient to disclose that at the time an offer is going to be either presented or you get wind of the fact that it is going to be presented. Uh, because when it does get presented, I would simply make that disclosure right then or right there and send it back with an amendment or an addendum. I prefer to see it as a term, but I'm sensitive to the fact that there may be financing considerations and things like that, whereby it may not look that attractive to a lender as a term. I'm more concerned that it forms a part of the contract, not necessarily where it is. So if that's to be put in um, as an addendum, it does the same thing. I'm fine with that. It puts it in writing. It puts it in writing and both parties know to it. They both sign on it. It's all out there on the table. So, you know, what's happened is everybody's protected because that disclosure has been made to the buyer. Everybody's being upfront, out in the open, in writing, signed off on. And we now know the courts say you have to do that. There's, you can't pick and choose what you want to tell them because you can get sued for it. So the most important part of the disclosure comes when an offer to purchase comes in, ensuring that it's in writing and both parties have signed to it. Yes. Acknowledging that that exists and that they're signing off, that they're okay with it. It's what's in writing that counts because it's like a chattel. If you haven't got it explained properly and all of a sudden you show up and that's not the same stuff that's in there, you can't waltz into court two years from now and say, well, we said it's not going to cut it. You know, if it's real estate, it's got to be in writing. Fantastic. Thank you so much, Dave, for your wisdom. Area members, we want to hear from you. Your feedback and suggestions for future podcast episodes will be critical to making sure we make this the strongest resource for you. We invite you to send that feedback through communications at albertarealtor.ca. Thanks to all who took time to listen. We'll be here next time and we look forward to chatting again. 